0: So we're going to carry on in Luke 16. And there's a lot uh, to look through in the next few passages, really, and the rest of chapter 16. Jesus is going to pick up the rest of chapter 16 um, in a couple of weeks' time. Paul Mack did a sterling job last week, looking at a tricky passage of the parable of the dishonest manager. And he made it clear that obviously Jesus wasn't encouraging us to be dishonest. Uh, But that we should be good stewards of the gifts or the, the money that we've been given. And he asked the question right at the beginning: where do you go to for financial advice? Do you go to others? Do you go to I don't know, the internet or 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 do you go to the Word of God? And he encouraged three principles of faithfulness, stewardship and worship with our gifts. And he finished with things that we can be praying for as well, to invest invest in family, invest in your local church, and to give to the poor. And Jesus, in this section, was challenging the religious leaders about how they thought about money. And in this first section, he challenges them head on. So let's read from verse 14 to 17. It says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, And they ridiculed him and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away. Than for one dot of the law to become void. So Jesus is kind of shifting his attention away from the disciples for a moment to the Pharisees, as Paul said last week. Jesus is speaking to different groups of people here. And at this moment, he's turning his attention to the Pharisees. And these guys, they objected to everything about Jesus' ministry how he spoke about money, to how he treated sinners and, and tax collectors. He frustrated them at, at every turn with his approach to Scripture. They thought he seemed utterly unconcerned about their rules. But then he kind of pressed them for an even higher standard of obedience and righteousness. And he, he seeks to show the Pharisees that he is a, not just a break from the old, but a continuation, a continuation of it. And he challenges them head on. God knows your heart. That's a scary thought, isn't it? God knows your heart. It's an echo from 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where man, it says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He points at their wealth that has robbed them of their true riches. Honour in this life, but an abomination in the sight of God. It's then reflected and made a point of in the following parable that Jesus is going to look at in a couple of weeks' time. But we see Jesus saying here, what is exalted and seen of worth right now before men is what God thinks and sees and counts for is more important than what people think. And the the Pharisees and and their righteousness and their piety is really fake news. Is there to win the admiration from others, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's pride. Can I ask you a question? Who are you living for? What are you living for now? Who are you trying to impress? Are you living for others? Are you trying to climb up the social, economic, even church ladder, or are you living for an audience of one? When you start to live to please God and God alone, it makes life a lot easier. It goes back to what we were talking about probably a month or so ago when we were up on the hill. Do you remember those glorious sunny days at Oak Hall? When we were talking about humility. And humility was thinking less of your own opinion and of others. And the Pharisee, in a way, were trying to get praise from others and God knew their heart. They considered wealth to be a sign of God's approval. God hated their wealth because it caused them to abandon their devotion to God and their service to him. Really, they were serving themselves. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, the law, the law and the prophets, meaning kind of Old Testament scriptures, were proclaimed until John. And John the Baptist was the kind of last of the Old Testament prophets And as soon as Jesus arrived, things were going to be different. As Paul referenced last week from the series The Chosen, the the actor that plays Jesus says, get used to different. And things were going to be different. The Old Testament prophets declared what God was doing. or Or they were going to bring the nation into repentance or point to God. But they all knew a day was coming where there would be a new covenant for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's the Messiah, <coughs> excuse me, the Messiah has come and was representing the beginning of the new era. The good news of the kingdom was being preached and the law and the prophets have been fulfilled in Jesus. We no longer relate to God as the Old Testament believers did through faith in an unyet fulfilled promise. But we relate to him based on faith in what he did through the death and resurrection of the Son. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news is preached, he said the law was written on stone tablets before then, now it's going to be written on your hearts. And as always, the intention for the law, these laws were for people to love God and serve others, but they didn't. And all the way through the Old Testament, we see people who are constantly rescued by God, then they abandon him. They're constantly rescued again, and then they abandon him. And more and more rules are made to keep them on track. Over 600. I'm just going to, because we're doing things differently, we're playing um, through online, we're just going to watch a video. uh, And Dave is going to play us a video um, just to explain a little bit about the law.
1: You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what is the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So, walk me through the story and how it is fulfilled. So, the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family who end up in slavery down in Egypt and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They are like a constitution. And so some of the laws are about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality, and by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel. Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story, and the six hundred and thirteen commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now, pay attention because you will see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods. Don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you are not going to follow all of God's laws. You have proven to me that you are incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they are going to need new transformed hearts if they are ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets. And they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it is out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It is like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems Pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said, true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that is kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law to love God and to love their neighbor. So, this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets. Or, in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law.
0: Okay, so I hope you found that video really helpful. Um, the Bible Project videos, uh, there's loads of those online, and just really helpful, clear explanations. And that, I just thought that was a good explanation of the law and the prophets. And uh, just to confirm what they're saying that Jesus' arrival was, wasn't a, an abolition of the old law, but a fulfilment and culmination of it. And now Jesus is, speaks in, in verse 16 about people forcing their way into the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, there's similar verses in Matthew 11 about the violent taking it by force. And these sorts of verses have been misused over the centuries. But I think the the preferable translation is more of an urgent alarm call for people to enter into the kingdom. Or there's an, an insistence to enter in. Come and grab it with both hands or you might lose the chance. Other translations say everyone is being pressed to enter into it so jesus is urging people to enter in and not wait about don't make family excuses like in previous parables don't rush off in the opposite direction but press in and take it jesus is quick to point out that the law hasn't become void that he has come to perfectly fulfill it That the Christ follower is not free from moral obligations, but the new covenant in his blood supersedes it. God still cares about the holiness of his people. And he makes a point in verse 18, which when we initially read it, we might think it's a bit out of place. Why has he suddenly started talking about this? But let's see, verse 18, it says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman, divorced from her husband, commits adultery. Jesus is presenting a moral obligation here for the people. And he's honing in on one specific thing, divorce. He's saying, don't pursue divorce just so you can marry someone else. To do so might kind of be technically within the the boundaries of the law, but it would still amount to adultery. And it, it represents unfaithfulness to the original marriage vows, and Jesus is going further than what it says in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, about divorce. See, most leaders at the time that Jesus is addressing would permit a man to divorce his wife for nearly any reason. And Jesus is going further and making the commitment harder to get out of. On divorce, firstly, the Bible doesn't, or Jesus doesn't teach that you should never get divorced. There are cases where it is permissible and remarriage is okay, such as unfaithfulness, abandonment, and, of course, abuse. We would never say that it is right to stay with an abusive partner. That is not what the Bible teaches. But what it does teach is to take marriage seriously, that it is not to be entered into lightly. I know that as a husband to Gemma, I call to love her as Christ loved the church. That is a huge call, that he died for the church. Am I willing to lay down my life for her? Are you, husbands, willing to be sanctified in and through your marriage? Or do you want your agenda or your opinion to be right? When Gemma and I do uh, marriage preparation with couples, we always tell them that you are entering into this thing to become one for kingdom purposes, not just to make each other happy. If you live your life just trying to make the other person happy, you're kind of missing the point. You are in it to serve the kingdom. You are kingdom partners. And I, I think when couples come along, they think we're going to talk to them about how to love each other and be all... You know, better and make their loving relationship stronger. Sure, we talk about that, but actually we say, no, you're really in this to make uh, the kingdom and serve the kingdom. It's about mission. But Jesus is showing us here a high regard as well for women, because in this I said it was too easy for a man to divorce a woman and leaving basically the, the, the wife of the woman with little or no rights. Jesus is coming in here and he is surpassing the old covenant. He's not just talking about divorce. He mentions in other places when he says everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God is dealing with a default setting here of the human heart that is opposed to God's law like it talked about in the video. Jesus has come to solve that by changing people's hearts. He wasn't content with just an outward appearance or the physical act of sin behind it. He 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 says, if your eye offends, cut it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We don't need to literally cut off our hands to deal with sin, because we have had one who has had his hands nailed to a cross to deal with our sin. He died for sin once and for all. Romans 6 talks about how we are crucified in him. No longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Jesus paid the price so we could be free from sin. Free from sin. And the law is written on our hearts. Paul says in Galatians, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfil the lusts of, of the flesh. So stay close, be filled with the Spirit. Stay close to Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. That will help you in your battle against sin. So this isn't just about divorce. This is not the unforgivable sin. We we are fallen people who have made mistakes. And we want to support those who have made that choice to split up. But Jesus' words here present a more rigorous ethical standard than that than which is contained in the Old Testament. So further than what it said about marriage, is, but what it says in, to what Jeremiah says, that I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is calling his people to turn their hearts to him. He is looking for more than outward appearances, but inward transformation Of the heart. He's not just getting at divorce. But he's getting at all behaviour. At gossip, slander, drunkenness, bad language. He's after a righteous people. What is he speaking to you about in this time? I know that God is challenging me in this time. He's speaking to his people. He's speaking to his church. He's going to use this time where. We are separated where there's lockdown, where church can't be together. God is wanting to use this time to sift through his people and say, do you really want me? Do you really want to be like me? Do you really want to go through this process of sanctification? Do you really want to be a righteous, holy person like I was? Because that's what it means to be more like Christ. It's a difficult, painful process, but it's worth it to be more like him. We'll never be fully like him until we see him, until we're in his presence. But let's pray and let's ask him to help us in this journey of becoming more like him, because we are called to be different. We're called to be more like him. In lockdown, we are called to be lights in this darkness right now. And the only way that we will make a huge difference in this world, in this world that is in turmoil right now, is if we are those who are more like him. So we come to him? Be honest with him right now. Let him speak into your heart right now. What does he want to speak to you about? What does he want to change you? What does he want to write in your heart? And change in your heart. There's stuff that he's spoken to me about over the years where I've forgotten about stuff. Where he's challenged me about my attitudes about things. It's a painful process. But it's worth it. Because you'll be more like him. Let's just take a moment to pray. So if you're at home, which I'm assuming you are. Let's just bow our heads. And let's just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. So Holy Spirit, you come right now and speak to each and every one of us gathered here online together. We want to be more like you. We want to thank you that you have come and paid the price for our sin. So that we are no longer slaves to sin. That we have your righteousness. Lord, what do you want to come and speak to us about this morning? Is As individuals, what work do you want to do in us with our character, with our attitudes, with our thoughts? Lord, come. Help us, Lord, in this journey of becoming more like you. We want to be different, Lord. We don't want to look like the world around us. We want to look like you. Jesus, I pray will you come and speak to my friends gathered at home, gathered online. Come and speak to us. Jesus, we want to be more like you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Thank you. Lord, so I just feel that we some of us we might need to repent right now before Him with attitudes or the way we've behaved or the way we've spoken. Once us to be more like him. Lord, I just want to repent of attitudes that haven't honoured you. We can so easily in our Western culture just dismiss things like gossip or slander or even how much we drink or even language, but he is after a righteous people. Come Holy Spirit, help us be those that are different in this world. Help us be those that are little Christs, that have Christ within us, Jesus. And those that can then go forth and preach the good news, that the kingdom is here, the kingdom has come, that the son has died and paid a price for you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.